0: Right, get your Bibles turned to the book of Acts chapter 9, and uh, while you're doing that, uh, once you get there, take your thumb or finger and get over to Galatians 1. We're going to be there. Uh, we need to slide into Galatians, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. Uh, back in 2002, Rick Warren, who's a, the pastor of Saddleback Church in, in Southern California, uh, released a book called The Purpose Driven Life, and the subtitle of Rick's book was just very simple. It asked a very simple question. The question is, why on earth am I here? And since that book was released, it has sold millions of copies worldwide. It's been translated into 85 different languages. Uh, I was looking at this list of best-selling books. It actually has now become the 36th best-selling book of all time. And just to put that into perspective... Um, if that's 36, 34 is gone with the wind, 37 is the thornbird. Some of you maybe wonder what's 35, I don't know. I, I, I don't recognize the book, so I didn't name it. But apparently, there's a, people, a lot of people out there that are asking the questions, why on earth am I here and, and, and what's my purpose in this life? And some of you may be here this morning and you have been wrestling through a question like that. Why on earth am I here? What's my purpose in this life? And and sometimes it's easy when you you get to a place where you go, okay, I, I thought I knew my purpose or I thought I knew what I was doing, you know, why God has me here. And all of a sudden, it's like I lost it. And I know for some of you who are mothers this morning, you feel like you feel like you've lost your purpose in life. Um, I, if you're a new mom or you have little ones at home, it's just easy to feel like you've lost your identity. If you had a career outside and, and now your, your career is in your house and it involves changing diapers or just constantly cleaning up messes around the house, it's easy to feel like you've just lost your purpose in life. Your identity was something and now it's something else. Or maybe you're an empty nester. You're moving into the season of life that, uh, that Amy and I are getting ready to move into. And your kids are, 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 have all left and, and your purpose for, for 18 plus years was all wrapped up in them. And all of a sudden, now you're wondering what to do with yourself. Or maybe you're in a season where you're getting a little older and you're feeling a bit like your, your best years of life are behind you. And you're asking the question, why on earth am I here? I mean, you want to feel productive. You want to feel like you have still have a lot of energy left, and, you're, and you want to make a difference with your life, and you're, but you're struggling. And, and I think whether you're a mom or whether you're a dad or whether you're a college student or whether you're an older adult or whatever high school, middle school, whatever season of life you're into, we've all had seasons of life where we've asked this question, especially during transition seasons, like, what's my purpose? Why on earth am I here? What am I doing? Well, as we dig into... Week two of our study on the life of Paul, one of the things that I've learned personally, and I I even see it throughout Scripture, is that sometimes God makes us wait. There are moments where God just takes us and He makes us wait until He reveals to us the answers that we're looking for as it relates to purpose or assignment or even sometimes identity. And sometimes, like we're going to see this morning, God actually allows us, to move into a season of preparation before he releases us to live out his purposes or, a, or even a very specific assignment that he's designed us for. And if you look throughout the Bible, you just see so many people that, that God used greatly. But you also realize that there was a season where he shaped them and he, and he molded them and prepared them for a, a, a purpose during a season of, of waiting, during a season of solitude, during a season of, of quietness and even Uh, of obscurity and retreat. Let's take a look at a few of those. First of all, think about Moses for a moment. Here's a guy who grew up in in Egypt's most powerful home. I mean, he grew up in the home of the Pharaoh. Moses had an incredible political future in front of him, and yet one day he kills an Egyptian citizen, he flees for his life out into the plains plains of Midian, he meets a preacher's daughter, he marries her, and he spends the next 40 years of his life tending this guy's sheep, and all of a sudden, when, when, when Moses is 80 years old, some of you are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm kind of older, I don't know if God has a purpose for me. Moses is 80 years old, God finally plucks him out, out of obscurity and he reveals his assignment to him, which was what? To lead the, the children of Israel out of Egypt. You think for a moment about Old Testament Joseph. Here's a guy who was sold into slavery. He is wrongly accused by his boss's wife of trying to sexually assault her. He's thrown into prison and forgotten for two years. And you think, what was God doing all this time while his servant is in prison? He was preparing Joseph to become a leader of Egypt who would lead Egypt through a terrible season of drought and would rescue his family from starvation. Think about David. David was 17 years old when the prophet Samuel came and anointed him to become the next king over Israel. And yet after he defeated Goliath, he spent the next 13 years running for his life from a very jealous, mentally disturbed king of the name by the name of Saul. From 17 to 30, for 13 years, David hid in cave after cave after cave, hiding from Saul. But it was during the season in his life where God was preparing him to be Israel's greatest king. There's a prophet by the name of Elijah in the Old Testament. In One minute we see Elijah. Here he is going toe-to-toe with Israel's wicked king Ahab and his really nasty wife named Jezebel. And he's warning both of them of God's judgment on them. And if he's saying, if you don't repent of your sins, God's going to bring a drought upon you. And the next minute we see him hiding in a cave, or hiding out actually out in a ravine called Cherith, experiencing what I call a dry brook season of his life. And you look at that and you go, What is God doing during that season of hiding? He was renewing and refreshing Elijah emotionally and spiritually so that he could continue his ministry. You think of John the Baptist as you get into the New Testament. The the first several years of John the Baptist's ministry was spent preaching to rocks and sand out in the desert. And yet, think about who this guy was. He was the first cousin of Jesus. He would be the one that would publicly announce the beginning of Jesus' three-year earthly ministry. But most of his own ministry was spent in solitude. It was spent in quietness. It was spent in obscurity. And the longer that I live and the more that I, that I look at God's Word and study the characters that God used, I'm convinced that God uses moments and seasons of retreat. As difficult as they, as they may be, He uses these moments to deepen us, to, to sometimes strip away the unnecessary junk of our lives, to reshape us and align us, uh, to get us closer to His priorities and, and, and purposes. And sometimes He causes us To want to to be more solely dependent on Christ alone so that he can use our lives for his purposes. Which will always be about advancing his kingdom, lifting up the name of Jesus, bringing God glory, and being loved by him. And this is where our guy Paul comes into the story. Paul the messenger. This is where he comes into the story. Now if you remember from last week, if you were here, Paul was on a, a road to Damascus. He was going there into Syria to round up Christians so that he could... Uh, persecute them, and many of them would probably would have been killed, and out of nowhere, Jesus stops him in his tracks with a bright light, throws him down under the ground, blinds him for three days, saves him from himself, saves his soul, But before God could really use Paul to advance the gospel all over the world, he had some serious work to do in paul 's life. God had a process for preparing Paul for his purposes. I want to take a look at that for a moment. Here we are in Acts chapter 9, and we're introduced to this man by the name of Ananias. I call him a forgotten man in the Bible. I think he's actually a forgotten hero. I don't think he actually gets enough credit in the Christian world. And as we saw last week, Paul Richardson actually kind of gave us a little bit of an introduction to Ananias. Here's a guy that God spoke to in a vision and said, listen, I want you to go to Straight Street in Damascus. I want you to find this guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus, and if you know, Paul was Saul before God changed his name, and God said to him, when you find Saul, lay hands on him so that he can see again. Now, how did Ananias respond to that? God, do you not realize that Saul is a bad, bad, terrible man who's done some really bad things to Christians? I mean, Saul has been commissioned by the leading priests of Jerusalem to persecute Christians. This would have been like like God saying to you, go to a terrorist leader who is persecuting persecuting Christians and lay your hands on him. That's really what's going on here. And we look in Acts chapter 9 verse 15 and the Lord speaks to Ananias and he says, Go for he is, Paul is, a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Right there, God actually reveals Paul's purpose. God was putting him, setting him apart and choosing him. He was going to be God's chosen instrument to carry the gospel to the the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Paul would be a messenger of the gospel to the world. And so out of obedience, Ananias goes to Paul, who has now been blind for three days. He lays hands on him. The Bible tells us that immediately this scaly substance falls off of Paul's eyes. He can now see. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets baptized, and he gets his strength back. And in less than a week, Paul, God transforms Paul from this vicious Christian-hating persecutor into a passionate preacher, preacher of the gospel. But but. Before all of a sudden, and here the reason I know that, as you look at this, you see Paul preaching boldly in the synagogues of Damascus. Matter of fact, Paul was so bold that the Jewish leaders decided to kill him. All of a sudden, they see him as this major threat, and things get so dangerous for Paul that. Believers in Damascus help him to actually escape. They put him in a basket. They lower him down the, the walls of uh, down the walls of of, of of the city, and Paul escapes into the night. Now, if you didn't know it, you would jump right from verse twenty five of Acts nine into verse twenty six, and you would believe that Paul went right to Jerusalem and started preaching again. But that's not what happens. You say, "How do you know that, Brian?" Because I don't see that in Acts chapter nine. Well. This is where Paul's letters become really an important part of the book of Acts. Because Paul's letters begin to fill in some of the gaps in the story. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 17, this is what Paul writes. He said, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But instead, I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. So in Galatians chapter 1, Paul mentions a retreat. He mentions this time, uh, this period of time where he experienced solitude and quietness and obscurity. He experienced the lonely desert of Arabia. Now, when you think of Arabia, here's what I want you to think of I want you to think of desert. God took Paul into a barren wilderness. We don't know exactly where, we don't know exactly who he lived with, we don't even know exactly what he did. But after he met Jesus, God plucked him out of his life as a Pharisee and a persecutor of Christians. He saved his soul. He filled him with the Holy Spirit. And then he led him into a lonely desert. You say, how long did he stay there? Well, look at verse 18. It says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. Paul was in the desert for three years. Now, you look and you go, why in the world would God do something like that? Why would God radically save someone, give him a week of preaching the gospel boldly, and then all of a sudden put him in a desert for three years? Well, this is one of those moments where theologians and and scholars love to fill in gaps with theories, and, and there are quite a few of them out there. However, I think Paul actually gives us, he actually speaks into this, and he gives us a hint as to what God was doing in his life over that three-year period of time while he was in the desert. And we see this in Galatians chapter 1. Why did God take Paul into the desert? First of all, God knew that he needed to strip him of his desire to be a people pleaser, to please people. Look at verse 10. Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? He says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul tells us, he says, listen... I spent my life trying to win the approval of other people. In other words, I was a people pleaser. Paul was motivated to try to please and impress the religious elite of the day, which was the Sanhedrin. The more he persecuted Christians, and the more he kept to his legalistic rules of the religious cr- crowd, the happier they they were with him. All of the Attaboys, the thumbs up, the likes on Paul's Facebook and Instagram account—I mean, all of that stuff—fell to his, you know, just built up his pride and ego. And some of you are going, "I didn't know Paul had a Facebook account." But on the Damascus Road, God st- began to strip. This away from him, this this strip away this this need to please others. It was in the Damascus, it was in the in the in the desert, where there was no one else to please but God. Where God began to strip all this away. If Paul had been addicted to popularity, he lost his 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 desire to pursue it out there in the in the desert. The second thing that that God did there was He He began to shape His understanding of Him. God had to get him away. Look at verse 11. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, and this is Paul talking, that the gospel I preached, that I learned, is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any other man, nor was I taught it. Rather, he says, I received it as a direct uh, revelation from Jesus Christ himself. Now think about this for a moment. For over a thousand days, Paul met God very intimately and very deeply. It was during those three years That Jesus himself reshaped Paul's theology. Everything Paul would learn about salvation, about God's sovereignty, about the power of the resurrection, about the church, about future things, all of that happened in the desert. You think about the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament. The book of Romans, the book of Galatians, the book of Philippians, the book of, of Ephesians. I mean, you think about Second and, first and Second Corinthians. I mean, we could keep going on, 13 letters total. All of this came from a three-year crash course in doctrine from God himself while Paul was out in the desert. He took him out there also to reshape his priorities and his purpose. Verse 13, he said, Paul says, For You have heard of my previous way of living? way of life in judaism how i intensely persecuted the church of god and tried to destroy it he said i was advancing in judaism beyond many of my own age among my uh, my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers in other words when it came to following jewish law and when it came to persecuting christians and actually destroying the christian church there was nobody better than the apostle paul when it came to being a good Jewish man, Paul had a trophy case of awards. He had one of the top resumes of the day. If Paul would have been an athlete, he would have been considered a blue-chip five-star stud. Paul was a ladder climber. He was obsessed with significance. He pridefully loved the spotlight. He was enamored with himself and his own accomplishments. And yet, listen to what happened to him when he was in the desert. This is what he came back out of when he, after that three-year period. Here's what he writes in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I once thought all of this other stuff was so valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I may gain Christ. And then we see... God taking him out there to create a dependency on Christ alone. Look at verse 15. Paul tells us, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult with any human being. He said, I didn't go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I love how Paul mentions two things that he did not do, and I didn't go directly to the other apostles in Jerusalem, the guys who actually walked personally with Jesus for three years. I didn't go to them to get my commissioning or my calling from God. He said, in other words, God sent me out into a lonely desert. And it was in the desert where God shaped his character. God made his calling and purpose for his life very clear. He gave him clarity on the gospel. He created a a total dependency in Paul's life for Christ alone. Because from what we can tell, all that Paul had out there in the desert was some sand, some rocks, maybe some cactus, some lizards, some snakes, and Jesus. That's all Paul had. And when you get further into Paul's story, which is what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks, and you see all of the hardships and the challenges that Paul goes through for the sake of preaching the gospel... You're going to understand why this three-year period, this three-year desert season in Paul's life was so necessary. But sometimes, listen, all of us, it's hard when you find yourself in one of these moments, in God's prepping retreat, especially when you feel like you're out in the desert, where it's quiet, where it's lonely, you, you, you feel like you can't sense the presence of Jesus, and you feel like God is stripping you down to depend on him alone. After I graduated from college in 1988, uh, God called me into ministry. I'd been running from it all throughout college. It was actually 1987, October 6th. John MacArthur was preaching Isaiah 6. I felt myself, I was on my knees in the front of our church. And the next thing I know, I'm living in a little town called Pemberton, New Jersey, going to seminary. I was a youth pastor. I was a baseball coach at the high school. And four out of seven days, I'm driving an hour and ten minutes all the way into Philadelphia to go to a little town called Hatfield to go to seminary. Four days out of seven, uh, every single week. And I'm just—I mean, for me, and for those of you who are from Jersey, don't take this offensive. But Jersey was my desert. <laughs> Some of you are going, I, I can relate to that. But I'm going to tell you what happened in New Jersey. For three years, God just set me apart. I can relate to the Apostle Paul. Now I, I'm no Apostle Paul. Trust me, but I relate to this. Because it was like God had to take me from my experience in college, and I won't tell you too much about it because my mom's here this morning, but he had to grow grow me deeper. He had to to shape my understanding of him. He had to strip some junk out of my life. He had to reshape my priorities. He had to teach me to depend on Christ alone. Because there's so many times, even when I was in New Jersey, that's all I felt like I had. And although there were, there were moments where it was lonely, it was painful, I, I lived with my pastor and his wife for a year and a half, and then by myself for a year and a half, it, it, I, I wouldn't trade that season of my life for anything. And some of you can relate to moments like that. You can relate to moments where God has pulled you out, whether it's been for a month or it's been for a year or several years, and maybe you're going, no, this has been for a long, long time. When is this going to be over? God's doing something in your life right now. I want you to know that. He is aligning you. He's aligning you to carry out his purposes. It may be an assignment he's giving you. So what do we do when we find ourselves in seasons like this where God's preparing us for a purpose? How can we align our lives to where we're in such close fellowship with him that we know what God's doing in our lives and we're not only fulfilling but we're carrying out his purposes for our lives? We need to learn from the desert here. What can we take away from the desert, from Paul's experience? First of all, we need to slow down. We need to slow down and we need to make room for God alone, to be alone in God's presence. I want you to write down the word solitude. One of the things that Amy and I are so thankful for is, we, you know, we think about Mother's Day. Is we're thankful for godly moms who both taught us how to spend time alone in God's presence every day, reading his word, praying, seeking him. For so many of us, listen. I mean, the idea of actually slowing down is painful, and for me, it's a constant challenge. If you're like me, I've had to. I've had over the years, I've had to discipline myself to just slow down and enjoy solitude. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't like solitude. For years, I hated it. I'm a guy who stays up late at night. I, I work late. I don't. I don't. I don't like idle time. I have a tough time relaxing. People that know me well, I'm a bit driven. And so over the last many years, God's had to strip so much of that away in my life. And just real simple, you know, on a journey to go to bed earlier, to get up earlier, to spend a few hours with God in the morning before I talk to anyone else, and it's been life-changing. And again, I mean, I've had to embrace and learn to actually love solitude to the place where I long for it, where I long for those few hours in the morning with God alone, where it's nothing but just me and a journal and a pen and a devotional and a highlighter and a Bible and Jesus. But it's in those mornings of solitude that I also realize that God's doing a work in my life. He's stripping away of my fears and my need to please people. And he's deepening my understanding of him. And he's revealing my shortcomings and my sins. And he's reshaping my priorities. And he's continuing to create inside of me a dependence for Jesus, for Christ alone. And I cannot tell you how many times I will run into someone during my day. Oftentimes it may be the first person I run into. And what they need to hear is something that God taught me early in the morning in my time alone with him. All of us in this room, we need to slow down. We need to learn to slow down. We need to learn to make room to be alone in God's presence. Don't, don't misunderstand me. We, we need people in our lives. Christianity is not a call to do life alone. But we, need, we also need to make time to be alone alone. In God's presence, to be with him so he can shape us, so he can speak to us, so he can strip away the sin and strip away the junk and remind us of who we are in Christ. We also need to turn off the noise. Turn off all of the noise around us so we can learn to be quiet and learn to listen to God's voice. Write down the word quietness. I I, I want you to think about, for so many of us, and this is me included, what's the very first thing that you do in the morning? You probably reach over and you grab this. This is a phone, a cell phone, and I mean, we, we start, what do we do? We look at messages, we look at all the texts we got in the middle of the night, we look at social media to see what's going on. I mean, what's the first thing you do when you get in your car? You turn on the radio. What's the first thing that you do when you walk in your house? You grab the remote, you turn on the TV, you may not even be watching it, but you just need the noise. What's the first thing you do when you walk into your office and you sit down at your desk? You, you, you turn on your computer and you get on the internet we have become addicted to to noise and if you don't believe me look at what everyone is doing when you're in any environment where people are waiting on something heads down looking at phones next time you're sitting at a stoplight look around at all of the people who have their head down on a phone it's scary We are a society that's bombarded with noise. We're bombarded with words. We're bombarded with opinions. We're addicted to information. And we're a society that can't stop talking. We have this desperate need to talk. And yet we are more than ever in desperate need of wisdom. In desperate need of God's voice. In desperate need of God's direction. In desperate need of of answers for life's challenges. And you're not going to find clear purpose and direction for your life until you learn to stop talking and to turn off the outside noises around you and to learn to spend time quietly listening to the voice of God you say how do I listen to the voice of God listen here's his words he keeps talking to us through this book right here Hebrews 4.12 tells us that this book is alive and it's active which means that God is still speaking to us from his words his words are still relevant to this day and then the third thing we learn As we're trying to understand, Lord, how do we align ourselves with your purpose? The third thing that we learned from the desert is that we need to stop trying to make a name for ourselves and to focus our lives on making Jesus known. Write down the word obscurity. You say, what does that have to do with anything? Over the years, I've learned a few things about God's purposes. One, don't confuse God's assignments with God's purposes. Assignments change, God's purposes never change. His purpose will always be, for all of us who are Christ followers, it will always be about advancing his kingdom, lifting up the name of Jesus, bringing glory to God, and being loved by him. Here's another key thing I've learned about God's purpose. It never, it's never about us. It's never about making a name for ourselves. His purpose for our lives is never about our own personal advancement, our agenda, our fame, our popularity, our prestige, or our our glory. Now, we may get some notoriety from time to time out of the assignment that he has us in, but our job, job one, is to continue to give all the glory to God. I remember sitting in a conference in 2002, listening to Max Lucado make a statement that literally punched me right between the eyes. He said this, God does not exist to make much of us. We exist to make much of him. And I cannot tell you how many pastors that I know that I meet that have this so messed up, they get into ministry to make a name for themselves. And God says, wrong. The church is the body of Christ, not your fan club. And listen, our job, it doesn't matter what you do, our job is to make Jesus known throughout the world, not to make a name for ourselves. And that's the same for all of us. My, uh, this life is never about making a name for yourself. It's about making a name for Jesus. That's our purpose. God's assignments for us may change, but his purpose will always be the same. But there are those moments. There are those seasons where God, he takes us and he hides us away for a little bit. Sometimes it's to prepare us for a new assignment. And oftentimes in the midst of it, he slows us down a bit so that we can be in his presence. He helps us to turn off the noise so that we can hear nothing but his voice. He he sets us apart for a season of obscurity so he he can shape us. He can deepen our understanding of him. He can help realign our priorities so that he creates inside of us a dependency on Christ alone so that we can understand his purpose for our lives which again is to advance his kingdom, to lift up the name of Jesus, to bring God glory and to be loved by him. So when you find yourself in the desert, whether you're a mom, whether you're a dad, whether you're a college student, whether you're an older adult, a high school, middle school student, whether you find yourself in a ravine or a cave, you go, I feel like I'm in a cave right now. I feel like I'm in a dry book, brook ravine. You find yourself in a lonely season of retreat. Here's what you do. You don't stomp your feet and get mad at God and where are you? You relax in it. You rest in it. You trust God that he's at work in your life. And you let God do the deepening work of preparing you for a purpose. Preparing you for what God has next for you. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. Lord, I thank you for your word. I I, I thank you that we just find simple lessons that speak deeply into our lives. Just in a couple words, Lord, we find that the Apostle Paul had to spend three years so that you could just do a work in his life to prepare him for what you had called him to do with his life. And so oftentimes we miss that. We get so enamored by all the things that Paul did and the letters he wrote. But there was preparation that went into that. There was a season of loneliness. There was a season of solitude and quietness and, and a season of obscurity. And Lord, we all face those moments. Some, some people are in moments like that right now. May you let us learn to relax in those moments, to embrace them, to rest, to know that you've not left us. Lord, you're deepening us. You're reshaping us. You're helping us to understand you more. You're creating inside of us a dependency on Christ alone. And may we rest in that today. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in in Christ alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to be your personal Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision with heads still bowed. Just pray with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, I put every bit of my faith and my trust in you alone. Be my Savior. What you did for me on the cross was enough to save me of my sins, to provide for me forgiveness. And so, Lord, I repent of my sins, and I turn away from them, and i Lord, I I choose to follow you today. What Jesus Christ did for me on the cross was enough. So by faith, I receive this gift that you've given me of grace. Help me to walk with you now. If you just prayed that with me, get out your Get Connected card, fill it out. Let us know you made that decision. Take it to the Help Center. Father, for the rest of us, as we just kind of meditate and think about, Lord, what we learned here today, as we looked at the book of Galatians and as it filled in some gaps in the book of Acts, whether we're, Lord, in a season of preparation or coming out of one or going into one, Lord, where you're preparing us for a purpose. Lord, may we give our lives, all of us, to advancing your kingdom, lifting up the name of Jesus, giving you glory and just, Lord, resting and just knowing that you love us, learning to just be loved by you. And may we trust you with all that you're doing in our lives and allow it, Allow it to shape us. Allow it to deepen us. And Lord, get us to a place where we are dependent on nothing but Christ alone.